Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheckman. It's hard to believe today, but leaching was once considered a legitimate and effective medical practice. Years from now, we may look back upon chemotherapy and radiation treatment for cancer, much the same way we now look upon leaching. In labs today all across the world, new forms of treatment for cancer and many other diseases under the general heading of immunotherapy are being discovered. The magic of the body's own immune system is being brought to the task. However, there is no one-size-fits-all, no silver bullet, and such treatments are not a free ride, either with respect to costs or to side effects. Just as the discovery of penicillin and its class of antibiotics saved millions and truly changed the world, immunotherapy is on the precipice of doing the same for the 21st century. However, its complexity, its connection to virtually every other aspect of the human condition makes its study and the ability to harness and manipulate it the medical holy grail of our time. Joining me to talk about this is my guest, Matt Richtel. He is a reporter for the New York Times. He received the Pulitzer Prize for National Reporting. He's the author of numerous fiction and nonfiction works. And it is my pleasure to welcome Matt Richtel back to this program to talk about his new book, An Elegant Defense, The Extraordinary New Science of the Immune System. Matt Richtel, welcome back to the program. Thank you. Thank you for just summing it up so beautifully. Where were you when I needed jacket copy? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> One of the things... Crushed it. Hey, thank you. I appreciate that. One of the things that's so fascinating about this is that, you know, we've been hearing about immunotherapy and T-cells and monoclonal antibodies for so long. And yet, as you point out, we're really at the beginning of this journey. Talk a little bit about that first. Yes, so much at the beginning of the journey. And at the highest level, I will I can explain why that is. And it is because for as integral as this network is, for essential as it is, as essential as it is to every aspect of health, so much of it is happening on the molecular level. And we simply didn't have the technology to understand that for a long time. If you compare that to, say, a broken bone, which is visible, and we could do all kinds of things with that throughout history, when you're dealing with below microscopic levels of molecules, uh, it takes a, an enormous amount of technology to understand. And so that's why the last 20 to 30 years have been so magnificent in the growth of our understanding. How much of it has been breaking through old assumptions that we had ideas about how the body works, how the immune system works, and we really had to rethink those? Oh, enormously. Um, so much so that um, as I reported this book, my wife, who is a doctor and was not that, say, 15 years ago out of medical school, as I came back to her with new revelation, she would say, you know, they really did not impress upon that upon us or we didn't know it. So it's, it's that recently. And, and just to put one more fine point on, immunology has long been a backwater. And yet, as you so eloquently put it, it may hold the keys now going forward. So, so what I set out to do as I realized, I mean, it was just, it was such fertile journalistic ground because there was so much rich material that just hadn't been 
well, certainly hadn't been put together in one place in an effort to explain how this system worked. And it just it just laid out in front of me. The other overlay to this, which I think has even gotten hard to believe, but even less understanding, is that, that in fact the immune system may be the key to this whole brain-body connection that we haven't understood for so long. Yeah, I think that there's a really good argument to be made as we sort of move into what what is this thing, that it is the river that runs through our body and that inflammation, which is the, the response of the body to insult or injury, is actually one of the most, if not the most influential um, uh, mechanisms in our body that dictates not merely our physical health and not only our emotional health, depression, mental health, but also aging and dementia. And all of it seems to be connected to this, this network that has a quite unusual um, capacity in our bodies. It, it is allowed to roam freely. And that might sound a little bit odd. You might think lots of things roam freely in your body, but in general, a pancreatic cell will stay in the pancreas, uh, you know, but for the wayward soul. Um, a heart cell will stay there. And yet the immune system has this capacity, like a police force, if you will, although that, that, that turns out to be one of the misconceptions. It is not chiefly that. But it can roam the body almost as if in a time of martial law. And so it winds up touching everything. One of the things that you talk about, and you, you just related to it in that regard, is that we have this notion of this kind of militaristic way of fighting disease, as if it's a war yes. of some kind. That's another misconception that has led us down the wrong path all too often. Yeah, so this is, this is as we get a little bit more into the weeds, I'll say this is maybe the biggest misconception that I had, and um, and here um, it's not just because uh, you know I'm uh, I'm not all that smart. It's because many in medicine had a similar misconception, and much of the many of the advances we're making now have to do with the reconceptualization of how our immune system approaches the world, whether it's cancer, autoimmunity, but in general. And so, can I try to define that a little bit? Absolutely. Okay, so. Let me let me start by giving kind of a big conception of the world that I've embraced that's new for me. Do you remember the movie The Matrix? Yes. Okay. So the, the at some point the 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 people in the know in The Matrix realize there's all those ones and zeros around them that were invisible to the rest of us and that there is this there's this computer network sort of that they live within. Well, analogously Jeff, if you look around you or your listeners look around you on their desks, on their arms, on their, uh, you know, on their computer screens, on their chair, at the wheel of their car, there are microbes everywhere, proverbial ones and zeros, bacteria, virus, parasite, organisms. And the reason that's important to understand is that when you think about the immune system as an entity trying to preserve us as individuals and as a species, its foremost job is not 
exclusively to keep out the bad. It's to do so in a way that is as cooperative and harmonious with the rest of the world as it can possibly be. Meaning, if our immune system was constantly on the attack, trying to um, vie against all these alien organisms, it would be scorched earth. It would be nuclear winter. So first principle, the immune system is not exclusively a zealous police force. It is an entity that I think more of as a peacekeeping machine aimed at attacking the most noxious pathogens, evil microbes, in a way that does as little collateral damage as possible to the rest of the world and to us. In this way, I would sum up the immune system as a combination of bouncer and ballet dancer. Very powerful, but tiptoeing as lightly as possible. How do all the autoimmune diseases that we know of fit into this equation? Yeah, so, so to, to get to that question, one more piece of logic in between. One of the key discoveries of the last, let's say, 20, 30 years, and that has led to, to the treatments now that we have for cancer and autoimmunity, is a recognition that all those molecules we have recently discovered are very, very roughly divided into two groups. These are all the molecules in the immune system that sit on the T cells, the B cells, the dendritic cells, the natural killer cells, all these pieces of it. They have molecules on them, and some of those molecules say forge ahead and attack, but about half of them say put the brakes on, do not attack. We are more dangerous as an overzealous police force than any external force that would come into our bodies. So just to sum that up, think about this ballet dancer and bouncer as being so finely tuned, constantly trying to walk the line between attacking properly and not over-attacking. When you have autoimmune disease, it doesn't take that much for the immune system to get a little dysregulated such that there's more aggression in the thing than is healthy for you. But the aggression is not, is not aimed at an outside force. It's not aimed at a bacteria or virus or parasite. It winds up being aimed at your own tissue. It's like, I mean, this is, this is certainly too cuddly of a metaphor, but think of a puppy dog wrestling around with another puppy dog and starting to eat things in the house. That's the kind of thing that can happen with autoimmunity. Talk about why women are more susceptible, because it really relates to, to something else I want to ask you, but start with that. Yeah, so I found this um, uh, really fascinating, and um, it's why two of the four characters, so this book is built around the science and four medical cases, and two of them are women with autoimmunity, um, and with, with somewhat different outcomes. Women have long suffered disproportionately here, and it has been a kind of double suffering for them. I think they have often felt invisible. I, I speak of them as the invisible women in the book. Why invisible? Well, for one, the, the disease inside them has been, in effect, invisible. There has been no 
pneumonia to point to, no cancer to point to, only the person's own body. And then they felt invisible because society often said things like it's in your head or that fatigue you're feeling, the low-grade fever, the pain, you know, walk it off or rest more, suggesting it wasn't real. Just because it's invisible doesn't make it any less real. But why women in the first place? Well, the theory here, and we have much to learn, but the theory here is that women have, broadly speaking, stronger immune systems. They confer immunity to babies through breast milk. They confer it um, in gestation. They have often been caregivers evolutionarily, which is one theory there. Um, there are more, there's more immune material associated with the X chromosome, which is the female chromosome. There's good news about all this, Jeff. Women live longer, but at the expense of having a stronger immune system, which means that ballet dancer can get thrown off balance more easily. Which raises the question of the link between what we understand about genetics and the immune system. Yeah, very, very strong. Um, If you want to determine if you may have an autoimmune disorder, you look at your parents. Um, This is true of, of any medical condition in general, but what we also know about health is that epigenetics play an enormous role. And just to broadly define that, that's the expression of your genes based on the kinds of circumstances you find yourself in. So uh, someone who might be more prone to autoimmunity may live a life that is less likely to provoke that condition. Someone who is prone to cancer may live a life that is less prone to expressing that gene. So it, it's not a fait accompli if you, if you, if you're forebear had it, that you will have it, but it certainly doesn't help. And then the other side of that is that even in the treatment of these things, given what we know today about immunotherapy, there is no one-size-fits-all. There is no one-size-fits-all, but, but, but before I get to the... Before, I think we have to hold two truths together at the same time. Um, one is that these new immunotherapy treatments are are a source of incredible hope for people. And that's one truth we have to hold. And the other is that there are big caveats that come with them. But let me just take a second to explain what these treatments are broadly in the context of what we've been talking about. So I mentioned that this, these molecules in the immune system um, can, can either go forward, spur the immune system to attack, or can put the brakes on it. Um, to, to broadly explain immunotherapy, the idea is to tinker with um, the molecules such that an immune system that is overzealous, in the case of autoimmune disorders, may have the brakes put on, but an immune system that is wanting or, or insufficiently attacking may have the brakes pulled off and the accelerator turned up such that it attacks. My book starts with the, the, the person who prompted me to begin to try to understand this in the first place was a good high school friend of mine from Colorado who got cancer 
several years ago and unfortunately was unable to beat it and after three, four years of cancer and radiation had 15 pounds of lymphoma in his back doubling every few weeks and his oncologist in Denver tearfully said, Jason, I love you, man, but it's time to go home and die. And he went home to, to, be, to, to take comfort and at the last minute took an off-label immunotherapy drug. It wasn't on the market for his condition yet. And a few weeks later, his girlfriend woke him up and said, Jason, get out of bed. Your tumor is gone. It had disappeared from his back. Four years of chemo and radiation had failed to do what the immune system itself was prompted to do in just days. Talk about how the doctors interpreted that. <laughs> I, I, uh, it's funny. The reason I'm laughing is I'm, I'm going back to the quotes that the um, the doctors and the people around him gave me, and and I'm laughing because I can't remember the exact language. It's in the book, but it was something on the order of "Holy expletive! What just happened?" Um, I think uh, I think <clears throat> I think his oncologist said something on the order of. Um, I remember watching the moon landing. This was like that. And they, you know, that I mean, imagine this. They are at the they were at the 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 foreground of chemotherapy and radiation treatment, trying everything experimental, you know, day in and day out trying to save Jason's life and the lives of others. And, you know, then along comes the seeming magic pill. I mean, it just you know, rabbit, hat, boom. That doesn't mean, of course, I mean, getting back to what we were talking about before, it doesn't mean that a similar condition in somebody else taking the same pill will have the same results. No, it, it doesn't. And, and that's the first of two caveats. One is that we are still, as, as precise as this is relative to, say, chemotherapy, um, it is still a very generalized practice and um, we can see that, that it, results may vary. But the bigger caveat, I think, is that when you unleash, to, be, to use a sort of crass word here, the immune system, you can have lots of side effects. We've talked about the principles of the immune system earlier in this conversation, and Jason did not get off scot-free, and, and I'll leave that to, you know, I'll leave the ending there to the book, but um, we're seeing this all around the country where among the best-selling drugs, if not the best-selling drugs in the country and maybe the world right now are these, are these they're called monoclonal antibodies. That's the fancy word for these, these immune system tinkering drugs for autoimmune disorder and cancer, and the side effects are extremely serious. If you take the brakes off the immune system, then the, the, the body can attack itself. If you put the brakes on, then you can get infection. So what I would say to people listening to this is please be an informed consumer. This is a leap forward, but one that has to be taken with eyes wide open. All of this, of course, is cutting edge, but where is the cutting edge of this? Where is the, what is the next step in this research right now? Yeah, I, I think the next step is fairly plain to me. I think it's in the microbiome. Mm -hmm. 
And um, at the beginning of this conversation, I talked about all the microbes around us, but where we're going to really make extraordinary strides, I would guess, is in the microbes that are inside of us. And there's a basic reason why this is, um, and a basic reason why we haven't done it yet. The reason why it is is we have this pool of bacteria inside of us. About half the cells in our body are foreign, if you will, but they are not out to get us. Far from it. These organisms in our gut are aimed very much at keeping us alive because, after all, we are their home. We are their host. We are their hotel, their tent. They need it to be in good working order. And if you just start with that basic idea alone, you understand that they are very likely, well, it's more than very likely, they are interacting with our immune system in powerful ways to keep us alive, healthy, happy, productive, all the things that you'd want from your house or your tent or your, you know, um, your, your earth. We are their earth. But here's the thing. The reason it's so I mentioned that, that there's two reasons why we're going to get there. The first is that's, that's why we're going to pursue it and why it's going to lead to a lot of interesting stuff. But you think getting to the immune system was hard. Now you're talking about the immune system combined with this mass, this mosh pit of bacteria, and we have to tease out the molecules and look for cause and effect. And it's extremely difficult. I would just warn people, when you see, you know, when you see magic pills that promise you the, the microbiome cure-all, be wary because the top immunologists in the world say, we'll get there, but we're not there yet. How did this change your own perception, Matt, in terms of your own health? Well, first of all, everything I've said to you is is new to me the last two years. So on, a, on an intellectual level, it changed things a lot. On a practical level, one of the things is I've gotten less germaphobic. Um, I don't think I was crazy germaphobic, but I have realized that our interaction with the natural world is an essential part of informing and even training our immune system. So every time you touch a banister, you don't need to goop up your hands. In fact, arguably, that may be doing more harm than good because you're starving your immune system, this bouncer and ballet dancer, of the inputs it needs to calibrate how to, be, how to interact with the world. So that's one, one big way, and I would just urge people, I, I go into the science more, but the other thing is I have really come to understand that there are no magic pills for health. A lot of health goes to having your immune system, and I want to be really clear here, supported, not boosted. You can see why you don't want to boost your immune system. You don't want it to be more zealous than it is, but you do want to support its balance so that it can make good decisions about when to attack, when to withdraw, when to stay balanced. And the, real, the reality is that everything your grandma told you about health, all the habits are the things that are best suited to help you do that. Sleep, keeping your stress low, uh, exercise. The book goes into the science, which is explicit. This is not, you know, this is not uh, daytime TV homilies. Uh, um, no, no offense to daytime TV. <laughs> I think they have some great homilies. But th there's really 
top-notch science in here that explains the connection between those ideas. And, and I have tried to enforce those habits in my own life, and, and my wife and I try to keep them um, intact with our kids. Matt Richtel, the book is An Elegant Defense, The Extraordinary New Science of the Immune System. It's just out from William Morrow. Matt, I thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank thank you. Thank you, Jeff.